All right, it's Friday. Thanks, Scott Shannon. Glad we made it. 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of this extravaganza. What a week this has been. A couple of weeks now on the issue involving General Flynn and uh, Rick Grinnell declassifying all these Obama officials. Let's see. Why would Samantha Power be unmasking anybody? 48 separate unmaskings of General Flynn. But, oh, no, this is all legitimate. The mob, the media lie I mean, it's unbelievable. Imagine if this was being done to Barack Obama by the Bush administration when he was coming in in 2009. Imagine the outrage by the media if if it was happening through them. Uh, then, of course, Biden, the day before, it's revealed that eight days before he leaves office as vice president, that he didn't know anything about the Flynn case, only to find out. He unmasked General Flynn himself. Then we got Brennan. Then we got Clapper. Then we got Samantha Power. Then we got the Treasury Secretary. Then we got Dennis McDonough, the chief of staff of then-President Obama. On the very day they had the big meeting that shocked Sally Yates, that she said she was shocked in that meeting when she was held back with super patriot Jim Comey uh, about the details of General Flynn's calls uh, that... Probably somebody had to tell him, was it Comey? Comey says it's Clapper. Clapper says it wasn't him. Okay, Lindsey Graham begins June 3rd, his hearings. Then you've got the Grassley Committee and Ron Johnson. They're doing their job. And finally, now this this entire Obamagate scandal is now beginning to crumble before their eyes, which means that anybody that dares tell the truth is that you're a big target. You know, what impact this is going to have uh, for the 2020 race, it's probably too early to tell. Uh, but Lindsey Graham did say he will subpoena these officials in the Obama administration to testify. And Comey and Clapper and Brennan, I want to see how they're going to be held accountable. Um, and who knew what and when did they know it? It's a pretty simple equation, not that difficult, not that hard. The president today rightly demanding, where are the original 302s? One of the biggest discoveries that nobody's paying attention to here, because we've been trying to get the original 302, the original interview with General Flynn that happened after the ambush January 24th uh, meeting, if you will, in the White House, which remember, that was when the, the very meeting that General Flynn said well, do I, do I, to, uh, to the associate deputy director, or Deputy Director of the FBI, McCabe, he said, do I need a lawyer? No. This is the meeting, January 24th, where Comey's bragging, I sent them in. We sent them in, and this is the meeting where, well, what's our, what's our goal here? Is it to get an admission? Is our goal to get him to commit perjury so we can prosecute him or get him fired? Is this part of the insurance plan? Is this, well, the White House wants to be informed every step of the way? But we did get a small glimpse into the original 302 and that we now know that General Flynn, when questioned about the call with his soon-to-be Russian counterpart, Kislyak, that his answer was very clear that he remembered the call. He didn't remember the substance of the call in terms of whether or not they did or did not discuss sanctions. He said, I just don't remember that part of it, which would mean that he's saying, I just don't recall, which is not a reason to say that you lied which is probably why Strzok and some other FBI agent, when interviewing Flynn, said they didn't think he was being deceptive or dishonest. We do know the inspector general thought that McCabe and Comey both were lying. Nothing's happened to them 
Same thing that guys like Manafort, Cohn, let's see, uh, Roger Stone, Papadopoulos all got charged with. Anyway, so the president said late last night about the fate of the FBI's original 302 on Michael Flynn that officials say vanished after uh, General Flynn met with these agents in January, January 24th of 2017. Where's the 302? The president tweets out it's missing. Was it stolen or was it destroyed? General Flynn is being persecuted. Devin Nunes, remember, ranking member, House Intel Committee. He's the one that told us the truth in the Nunes memo. Just like we got the truth in the Grassley-Graham memo. We didn't get the truth. Now we know the exact dates that all these Obama officials were testifying before the House Intelligence Committee. We know that they were all telling Adam Schiff, the corrupt, compromised, congenital liar. They were telling him... Uh, that they didn't know about any Trump-Russia collusion, which is in keeping with what we knew that Lisa Page said, uh, that they didn't find anything in nine months, or that Peter Strzok said there's no there there, but they kept going anyway. Um, So where is it? It's a good question. Nunes is also saying, and I told people at the highest levels of the FBI and the DOJ, uh, what are you doing here? We have on the record from the highest level people that, General Flynn didn't lie to the FBI, but that original 302 vanished, gone, poof, we can't find it. Now, as it relates to the unmasking side of all of this, well, now we're beginning to find out that uh, we may discover that members of the Trump family were unmasked. Well, are they going to dismiss that? Is Lion Brian Williams over at uh, MSDNC, the conspiracy TV, state-run socialist television channel, is he going to now... Uh, stand up for the Constitution, the rule of law, the Bill of Rights, uh, Fourth Amendment against unreasonable search and seizure because you need a warrant to spy on Americans. That's why the powerful tools of intelligence, what have I been saying for three plus years, can't be turned on the American people because that's where the abuse of power corruption comes in. In this case, they spied on a presidential candidate and they used that as a predicate, a bought and paid for Russian disinformation dossier that Hillary Clinton paid for that Christopher Steele made up and that everybody was warned about before the first FISA application was ever submitted. And remember, McCabe said in his testimony just released last week, he said, yeah, without the dossier, there's no absolutely no warrant. And then we know January 21st, this is before the third application, the second renewal application. We know James Comey signed the first three. And Rod Rosenstein, the fourth, we know that the subsource for Christopher Steele said none of what Christopher Steele is saying is true. Well, not that we even needed that, because at some point, Christopher Steele himself in an interrogatory in Great Britain said he has no idea if any of it's true. But the FBI knew it was unverifiable, but they signed a document saying that it was verified. All that you want. And now the pre, now we bring this right into the office of Barack Obama with the ever-forgetful Joe Biden in the room and an ever-shocked Sally Yates with Jim Comey, uh, with Obama knowing and acknowledging he knew every part of the the unmasking of General Flynn and the phone call that Flynn had, that was unmasked. Well, that means he needs to now answer the questions here. So who leaked all of this to the Washington Post? You know, for example, this guy, uh, Ignatius, that was the same day that Joe Biden... Uh, We know in this case that Joe Biden was out there uh, unmasking General Flynn. There were a lot of leaks in all of this. There were leaks of part of the dirty dossier before the election anyway. That would be 
let's see, David Korn and Michael Isikoff, two hacks that uh, are conspiracy theorists, that 49 requests were made by dozens of Obama officials during the period, again, from November 2016 through January 2017. 49 requests to unmask one man? And then they were ready to close out the case January 4th until Peter Strzok said, no, no, don't close it. And now we know why. And then the meeting happened on, on January 5th in the Oval Office. Anyway, Biden sits at the top of the list of senior officials that unmasked General Flynn. He needs to be asked what he knew and when he knew it. We need to ask Obama what he knew and when he knew it. We need to ask Clapper and Brennan and Comey, all right, which of you three are lying Maybe option C will be or option D would be all the above. Let's find out. You look at the list of the classified uh, names uh, that came out this week. Barack Obama's in there. He's hidden behind senior staff. But again, the testimony of Sally Yates brings that to life. Why would Dennis McDonough on that important day of January 5th? Why would he as chief of staff of Obama be unmasking General Flynn? On whose behest was he doing that? He wasn't doing it himself. Why would Samantha Power ever unmask anybody? But she unmasked General Flynn seven times in this time period. And you look at the former White House official, Obama's request for unmaskings likely took a different route. Mike Dempsey is on the list of unmaskers, the deputy intelligence, deputy director of national intelligence. Lee Smith had a great piece in the New York Post about all of this today. Um, And he raises the question as it relates to the presidential daily briefing, which is highly classified uh, and produced by the DNI and gets input from other intel agencies. This is how Obama would have made his unmasking request, the source said. He's shown a summary of a report. Flynn's case would have been, would have said something like uh, senior transition uh, official. They're all trying to spin this as if it's normal. There's nothing normal about this as evidenced by the nearly 300% increase uh, in this final year of unmaskings, and a lot of it Trump people, especially General Flynn. But now we have Trey Gowdy and Devin Nunes on record saying, yeah, it was probably the family too. You know, Schumer's out there just, you know, just like he, oh, oh, Tara Reid's not credible, but I believe a phony hypocrite. It is the greatest political crime in the history of this country. The biggest abuse of power, corruption scandal ever, you know, and we've got to get to the bottom of it, because if we don't get to the bottom of it, I'm telling you right now that it is going to be a disaster for this country. And you might as well shred the Constitution. The judge in this case, I mean, we have the worst judges. You got the judge that was in the Manafort and Roger Stone, Amy Berman Jackson. She's the one that uh leaks out to the mob and the media all my private text messages. Thanks a lot. I thought I had a right to privacy. I don't see any liberals, Democrats, mob people uh, protecting my civil liberty and privacy uh, while I would protect theirs. But uh, then they have, okay, well, we have the head juror in the Stone case. Well, the jury four person is against Roger Stone on social media before the case ever started. And she doesn't give a new trial for that. That's not a fair and impartial jury, but we had those protections. Why do you have pre-dawn raids from Manafort and Roger Stone? 29 guys, tactical gear, pre-dawn raid, CNN cameras tipped off in the Stone case. Are you kidding me? Then this appointment of this guy Gleason, John Gleason, by the judge Emmett Sullivan in the, in the case of General Flynn. Okay, this guy 
Uh, now we know more about his background. Not only did he write that piece already giving his decision on this, it's a foregone conclusion what he's going to say. And now that Sullivan appointed him to argue, you know, friend of the court brief, which never happens. I mean, this all of this is to deny justice to a guy that nearly lost or has already lost nearly four years of his life. And for the judge to not recognize prosecutorial misconduct and abuse by bankrupting the guy and by literally, even though they didn't find him lying, threatened it to put his kid in jail. What part of that doesn't Emmett Sullivan and John Gleason understand? You would think when both as, as a matter of general law, this is what happens all the time. When they drop the case, they drop the case. Not in this case, of course, because it's General Flynn. Daily Caller had a good piece about this, but, uh, you know, <clears throat> two GOP senators released a list of Obama officials who submitted requests. Now the disclosure has touched off an intense debate and all these people have to be held accountable. And how do we get to the bottom of this, you know, Obama White House domestic spying case? And what did they know and when did they know it? And Graham is right to do what he's doing as so is, by the way, Grassley and Ron Johnson. And Clapper calling it routine is laughable and lying Brian Williams needs an education in all things truth and constitution. And I'll give that to him later in the show. And then Samantha Power in her House Intel uh, inquiry denies that she unmasked all these people that they're claiming she unmasked. Well, she didn't do it. Now we need to find out who did do it. These are crazy times we're living in. I'll tell you, it's insane. Imagine if they did this to Obama as his administration was coming in, what the media would be uh, saying then. All right, 800-941-SEAN. Uh, we're going to get some calls in uh, next half hour. I mean, it is what it is. It is the it is the mob, the media. It is the deep state. It is corruption, and it's being exposed. And as it gets exposed, what do you see? You see the resistance rising. They're angry. They don't want to be exposed. They're on the attack. Who are they attacking? They're attacking Rick Grinnell. They're attacking Attorney General Barr. They're attacking anybody and everybody that stands up for truth, transparency, and against this abuse of power. I mean, you can see the nexus, everything we've been saying of... All of these people in the mob and the media protecting the deep state. Why? Because they're all aligned against Donald Trump at any at any cost. You know, one thing Paul Sperry had a great piece uh, out saying the transcripts, Clinton aides allied with Fusion GPS. You know, they pair after the election to re-push the anti-Trump dossier. But meanwhile, they paid for it. They knew it was false. Likely Russian disinformation from the beginning. Well, I would think that would inspire everybody to want to get to the truth, right? No, not in this world where uh, you care about Russia, but only if it's Trump, not Hillary. You care about obstruction, but it's only Trump, not Hillary. You're an I believer, but only if it's to bludgeon Kavanaugh, not Joe Biden. Uh, you're against quid pro quos, but not Joe and Hunter. You get where this is going? They lie. They're corrupt. They're agenda driven. State-run television, state-run socialist uh, newspapers like the New York Toilet Paper Times. All right, 25 to the top of the hour on the coronavirus politics. I mean, do we really need to dissect any more 
of Nancy Pelosi's $3 trillion socialist dream bailout blue states that have bloated budgets, waste, fraud, and abuse bill, marijuana shops, etc. Now, we know there's no chance of this, this passing. There is, there's something very interesting. Pelosi, remember, she had to do what the squad wanted. We've been calling her Speaker of the House in name only and saying that Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez is the real power broker, apparently, in the House because everything that the radical wing of the Democratic Party wants, they get. Now, I think Nancy probably is smart enough, savvy enough, been around enough to know that this bill is never going to pass. I don't like the talk of any money going to blue states like even to my own detriment, like New York. Why? Because New York has is, is responsible for more waste, more fraud, more abuse, just like California, just like Illinois, just like New Jersey and other blue states. Now, if it comes to covid relief for workers, for business owners, uh, just like the rest of the country, it should be made available to all of them. That's just we're helping every American out. We can rebuild Europe. Um, and we can, uh, also help other countries whenever there's need, you know, let me just tell you something. We, we, we need to understand what's at what they're doing here. You know, you can't justify wasting $750 million on a solar panel factory in, in upstate New York. That's mothballed. It was like 1.2 million taxpayer dollars per job created. In the meantime, all the money that New York would ever need or want could have been had through fracking. The reason Pennsylvania is doing so well is because of fracking, which, by the way, the ever forgetful Joe Biden uh, is against for Pennsylvania. Well, that, that is a big part of Pennsylvania's economy now. Those are high paying career jobs. Now, if he's going to suck up to AOC like he did this week and Bernie Sanders the way he did this week, um, then that means that Joe is going to go, what, for a fracking ban? He's already adopted big portions of the Green New Deal. I mean, where is this going to go? Anyway, this is what these blue states do. You know, the sanctuary state of California, sanctuary city, New York City, sanctuary state everywhere. Well, why should why should citizens in red states be burdened with the waste fraud abuse of all these blue states that waste all this money if they want to pay if their policy in their state and i believe in you know the state's rights if they want to elect governors that create a socialist hell for the people in their state that's their business but if they don't fund their pensions and they don't make smart decisions in terms of how the state should be making money and they tax their citizens out of the state, which is why you see a mass exodus from these blue states. You can't ask people that elect responsible uh, government officials, governors, state representatives, senators that don't that aren't involved in waste, fraud and abuse that don't tax the citizens of their state to death that fund their pensions as they go along. I think, what, $130 billion unfunded p- pensions in Illinois? That, that shouldn't be put on the backs of red states and those taxpayers. Now, if it's going to be more COVID relief, I, I'd rather wait until we see what the two, $3 trillion does first and the $4 trillion in loans being made available at very low rates through the Fed. 
But the real answer is what we've been discussing again and again and again, and that's opening up the country and opening it up quickly. And and I'm not going to repeat myself because I'm, you know, I I don't have any more arguments than to say, okay, learn from Texas, Florida, Georgia, and learn what not to do from New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Michigan. And that's that's a big starting point, protecting the old people. Then you can learn from okay, all those people that don't have to reopen in New York because they were there working every day and feeding New York and providing the medicine and the medical supplies to New York and all the people around the country that sustain New York and these other states. Uh, they never shut down. They're not talking about reopening their manufacturing because the manufacturing never stopped. The store se- shelves would never st- stop being stocked and restocked. I'm telling you, you'd be stunned. We never ran out of food in New York anywhere. Nowhere. I mean, there were a couple of days, maybe a little bit, you know, bare, but there was plenty of food still. Plenty. But mostly it was packed. Mostly everything got delivered. Thanks to American America's great truckers. All that got done. Um, so now we have the issue of, you know, and I, I, I have a lot of respect for Dr. Fauci, but Rand Paul is right when he said he's not the end all. He's not. Dr. Fauci has done has dedicated his whole life to saving lives I, I you can't take this away from him through no fault of his own i would argue when he was saying that the risk is very low on february 29th i don't think he was saying it maliciously he was giving his best medical opinion based on the data at the time and even when he said you know in march you know, that we don't need masks. Um, he was that was the best what we knew at that moment. I'm not holding it against him, but I am saying that he's not been right the whole time. And the guy that ended up being way ahead of the curve uh, ended up being Donald Trump. Donald Trump was the one that put the travel ban in, in place, the first quarantine in, in 50 plus years. And then the subsequent travel bans while he's being impeached. That turned out to be a, a, a literally life-saving decision. Every Democrat running for office should now have to answer that question. Did, in retrospect, Donald Trump make the right call? or you, Do you still consider it racist, hysterical, xenophobic, and fear-mongering? Because it turned out that he saved untold numbers of American lives. He, he saved untold amounts of carnage and contraction of this disease. You know, we, we can never figure out mathematically how many other people would have contracted the virus if he didn't stop the travel. I love how the media says, yeah, but he didn't stop all the travel because people came in and were quarantined. I'm like, yeah, they were quarantined. Nobody supported the quarantine either. But they're always going to play politics. This is who they are. This is what they do. We're 172 days away from you making the ultimate decision, the American people. So everything has to be seen through the prism of politics right now. But you can see what's happening that, you know, not there wasn't one medical model that turned out to be accurate. We did the the answer even at this point is we don't know. I like the data that I'm seeing out of Florida that reopened with a 15 percent drop since it's reopening. That that gives us more hope. I was very skeptical. I'm not the biggest fan of Governor Kemp in Georgia. I thought the Kelly Loeffler decision was stupid. Told him he didn't listen to me. Nobody listens. Linda, right? Nobody listens to me. But I tried to warn him. 
Yeah, anyway. no, that, that whole situation is a hot mess, and I think you were pretty fair about the fact that whoever— I'm admitting—I I, I was I said, okay, uh, here's my fear about what Kemp was doing. Because remember, he said he was going to open up the salons and the tattoo parlors. The tattoo parlors set me over the edge. I'm like, okay, if he fails in Georgia, and it, by the way, he's we have a 12% decline in Georgia, 15% decline in Florida. But if he failed— Linda, tell me if I'm wrong. They would have bludgeoned him in the media, which would mean that no governor would be willing to do anything even safely, remotely resembling uh, a return to normal life. That's why I was concerned. Um, and that's why I, my mind changed when I saw how they did it. When I look, I'm not a big. I, I'll be honest. I mean, it was good daddy-daughter day time to take my daughter out and get her a Manny and Betty, which I did a number of times. They used to love it, Linda, when I went in there because I tipped them really well. My daughter hated it because once I found out that you can get two people and sometimes three people to work on one person, it goes three times as fast. My daughter thought it was embarrassing. It's Why not just embarrassing. The- it's complete. It takes away from the entire experience, just so you know. The ex- well, I don't know what the experience is. Cause Nor takes, should you. That's why you should it, wait it, it in the car like a normal dad. It takes freaking hours to do a Manny Petty thing. Beauty is work. It takes time. Okay. Two, how long does it take you to go through your little spa treatment okay, thing? Okay. First of all, I have a four-year-old. I no longer do that. All right. When you did do and it, And I did. And, you know, two hours, two and a half hours if I'm doing okay, the whole thing. I'm coming. Uh, I can't do anything for two hours without coming out of my Can my you play court. golf? Can you play golf for two hours? I, I haven't played golf in uh, when you did you know, play 10 golf. I golf. I, I'm like, well, okay. I'm a little busy right now. I've been locked up, you know, writing every spare moment. I have not picked up a golf club in almost a year, and I was never good at it anyway. It's a dumb sport. I don't know. I just like getting outside and and drinking early you in the morning. You do not think golf is a dumb sport. It is a dumb sport. I'm, you know why it's dumb is because I've been a good athlete my whole life, and it's the only sport I can't conquer. Oh, that's what it is. You're oh, just mad because you're it, not now, good now at it. Now out. I know what's going on. Better people but, than you have stunk at golf, okay? But I'll tell you, no, I was, when I was taking lessons and playing regularly, I did break into the 80s and I stayed at a, like an 86. So how long does it take you to play, uh, uh, you know, golf? How long does that take? It depends how much drinking is going on while you're playing. It depends if And you enjoy that, smoke. right? It's relaxing. You enjoy I did, it? I, I definitely enjoyed it. Okay. So that's what MK and me and other women oh and gosh. men who get manis and petties like to do. We enjoy it. Sometimes we go with a friend. We talk. It's nice. These are the memories of, you know, pre-COVID when you could actually enjoy each other. My daughter banned me from hiring new people. I, why? I thought it was fair, a compromise to say, okay, how about one person for your hands, one person for your feet? What is that the was, hurry? Why are we hurrying the experience? Why am I sitting there for an extra hour when I can get it done in one hour? It's called being efficient with my time. Time is money. You money go money, somewhere money, and money. have a beer. What am I going to do? And then I'm going to drive her home after drinking a beer? Oh, my God. You have an answer for everything. I do. That's why I'm a talk show host. That's what talk <laughs> show hosts do. We, well, you never want to get into an argument with the talk shows because they never lose. I think you should just get her an Uber and let her do her thing. Uh, well, we're past that stage. I think uh, I think my days of doing this now are over now that she's headed off to school. Aww. I hope. Um, what do you mean, ah? Everybody's all ah. You know, I dropped my, kid, my son at school. See ya. Talk to you later. Well, it's he a little was different. Happy. Everybody else is crying their eyeballs out, and I'm so. I, and, I, and in particular, his sister. And I said to her, after two hours of nonstop, never-ending crying, 
I'm like, okay, uh, explain this to me. He's been mean to you your entire life. Why are you crying? I miss him. That's kind of sweet, though. Well, my, nice. You know, it actually was a sweet moment. It's a sad, I tell you, it's a sad year for all the graduates this year. I went up and down my block the other day, and there's all these signs out, you know, Well, home, actually, home I just found out that they're going to have a graduation, that we're going to do a drive-by oh, really? one. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Now when it's is that, be, is that uh, happening Now it's on later? the calendar anyway, okay. but who knows? God only knows what's going to happen. Oh, Cuomo did announce, well, first of all, why this guy, I'll use your first of all, why this health commissioner in New York still has a job is beyond me. There's a, he's, first of all, he's an idiot the whole time during the entire virus. Listen, New York was dead without Donald Trump. I don't care what anybody says. He built the hospitals, manned the hospitals, got all the medical equipment because they didn't have, you know, shift, if you will, available because they didn't listen to their own health directors over the years. All right. Then you got this other idiot that's telling everybody it's safe, it's safe. It's we're in the middle of COVID and he's telling New York City it's safe, just like the dopey mayor de Blasio Anyway, and de Blasio is now claiming ignorance about what this guy said. This guy, the guy has an email. The New York Police Department that many of these officers were catching uh, COVID-19. They ask for more masks. The health department head literally says, I don't give two rats asses about cops. And I'm like, what? Why does this guy have a job? I can't believe it. Anyway, Cuomo announced that state beaches will open for Memorial Day weekend following New Jersey's lead on it. More than 3,000 New Yorkers now swarmed one Queens food pantry. Well, you know the area that I live in, Long Island. The food pantry here, you know my friend, uh, the inventor Keith and his wife, Mm -hmm. they work at it. Right. And literally they're telling me the story and I'm like, here, here's some money. And I'm not bragging, I give money. I'm just like, I can't believe this is not exactly an area with a lot of poor people, but you have people that are that desperate right now. And everybody's pitching in, by the way, to the, to the credit of everyone in my community, everyone's helping them and just getting them. That's why opening the country on the other side, you know, there was a heritage foundation study. 1% of all counties representing 15% of the U S population are responsible for almost half of the country's COVID-19 cases. Now, the biggest mistake, March 25th, Cuomo executive order mandating nursing homes take on COVID-19 patients when he had the beds manned and built and COVID ready for Trump that he didn't use. Unbelievable. March 29th, Pennsylvania governor follows. April 6th, the New Jersey governor follows. And then all the stupid decisions Governor Whitmer made in Michigan. Can't cut your grass. Now, they did the exact opposite. You know, Ron DeSantis and Georgia and 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 Governor Abbott, they did a they did a medical mobilization, including in Florida, every department, even the National Guard, literally surrounding and protecting the most vulnerable, the elderly. That's why there's such a dramatic difference in the percentage of people that contracted and then exponentially mathematically died as a result of this. We got to learn from these people because they did the right thing and they ought to get the credit. And the president will never get the credit for saving New York, New Jersey that he deserves. And he'll never get the credit for the travel ban, the subsequent travel bans and the quarantines. I'll even say Gavin Newsom. Well, he did a pretty good job for California, a little draconian at times. I think he's backing off because the people are demanding it. 
All right, hour two, Sean Hannity Show, 800-941-SEAN, if you want to be a part of this extravaganza. So you've got the Obama Gate explosion that's happening right before our eyes. It is amazing to watch the mob, the media, the liars, the propagandists, the you know, those that peddle in conspiracy theories and hoaxes and slander and besmirchment and that have been wrong for over three years. You know, Russia, 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 Ukraine, 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 impeach, impeach, impeach. And they missed what is the biggest abuse of power corruption scandal in history. Now, we've learned an awful lot about, well, what they've been up to and what this whole thing is all about. And none of it is any good. We learned a lot this week, for example, uh, as it relates to, let's see, Rick Grinnell declassifying the list of Obama officials. You know, we got 48 uh, unmasking requests, 39 individuals, including Biden, Samantha Power, seven, James Clapper. You got, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, John Brennan. All of these. What? Why would they be unmasking in in these numbers and the dates that match up? Dennis McDonough on January 5th, Joe Biden on January 12th, both important dates in this timeline. Um, now, how is this all going to impact 2020? Senator Senator Lindsey Graham uh, starting hearings on the 3rd of June. Grassley Johnson, they are going to continue their investigation. Uh, the mob and the media, they just say, oh, it's uh, unmasking is fine. 48 separate unmaskings from Election Day through January of 2017, Election Day 2016. That's a lot of it. Uh, anyway, uh, let's play James Clapper. Uh, then we're going to play Joe Biden lying. And then let's play John Brennan uh, attacking Rick Grinnell for telling the truth and letting us see it for ourselves. So you did not know that it would be General Flynn when you asked to unmask these conversations? Well, no, I did not. Now, it's possible. I mean, this is three and a half years ago, so I don't remember the specific uh, reports in question. It's a routine thing. It's appropriate and legitimate. Uh, when you have a valid foreign intelligence target engaging with a U.S. person, is it, for example, an insider, someone in the government engaging with that foreign adversary? When you were director of national intelligence, did you see any direct evidence of collusion between General Flynn or any Trump campaign official with the Russians? Uh, no, I did not. Mr. Vice President, what was your involvement in the investigation uh, of Michael Flynn and the FBI investigation of Michael Flynn? I was never a part or had any knowledge of any criminal investigation into Flynn while I was in office, period. Not one single time. By nature, um, when you ask for more information about a transcript that's been transcribed from an intercept, do you have any idea who the other person is? And I guess I'm trying to get it. Did the people that asked who Kislyak was talking to have any idea what name would be revealed when they sought that information? Generally not, unless within the context of the conversation, it seems to be apparent that an individual may be affiliated with a certain group or organization. But generally, the reason why you ask for it to be unmasked is because you don't know that's the name of that individual. And so it's not as though Obama officials were going out and saying, give me everything about Michael Flynn. Absolutely not. Interestingly, the number of reports that were in December 16 and January 17 that were declassified by Richard Grinnell, 
Um, I was surprised at how many dates and reports there were there. Maybe what Mr. Grinnell should do is to declassify and then release the contents of those reports in terms of what individuals were involved with. Uh, but what he's doing now is just releasing the names of individuals who, again, were carrying out their authorized responsibilities. That would be nearly a 300 percent increase, threefold increase in unmaskings just in Obama's last term, especially accelerating into 2016, all throughout 2016 through the end of their administration. Uh, John Solomon has been on this. We have now been unpeeling every layer of this onion uh, together since March of 2017. Uh, Congressman Lee Zeldin of New York here to talk about, well, we've got Adam Schiff caught lying through his teeth again repeatedly. Uh, you know, John Solomon, I mean, they're, they're trying to now spin this. Oh, unmasking is not a big deal. Well, I guess it's not a big deal for people that don't believe in our Constitution and the Fourth Amendment and unreasonable search and seizure. Uh, because 48 times in this period of time means that you were targeted in a way that was abusing your power and authority, and you were going after one guy. Yeah, listen, here's what's going on. I, I bet you when we're done, we're going to find out that lots of Trump transition officials were being unmasked. The Obama administration was trying to thwart the Trump administration and its early foreign policy efforts. They lost the election. The Democrats are headed out the door. And instead of allowing for a peaceful transition of power, they're listening in and, and unmasking all the conversations that Trump people are have. In, in trying to get their policy and their transition team up and running, they were spying on their on their their successors, and there's no basis for it, no need for it. Uh, we're going to find out it's far more widespread than just these uh, Flynn conversations when we're done. And uh, you know, let's just. Well, be what about, what for was. example, Trey Gowdy yeah. and Devin Nunes's comments that the Trump family was was unmasked? Is that true too? Uh, I don't know yet, but I've certainly been uh, told that by sources that there was concerns that Jared Kushner and others may have been unmasked at various times. Uh, I think we need to get a more full accounting. This is a great. Well, I remember at one point, John Solomon, hearing uh, people like you and me had been unmasked. Was that ever confirmed? Never been confirmed. But uh, I think I, I, this is what I would ask the DNI to do. Any journalist, any member of the Trump family, any member of the uh, transition, anyone who was unmasked from September to January, Let's put them on the table and find out who they were. Uh, your reaction to this, uh, Congressman Lee Zeldin? Yeah, so I totally agree with what John just said. And understand December of 2016, the Obama administration was trying to get a Security Council resolution, this anti-Israel resolution, UN Security Council Resolution 2334 done. They teed up Egypt. The, the United States wasn't going to exercise its veto and then General Flynn and others were on the phone to get that off the table. And the Obama administration had to scramble to get other countries to introduce this security resolution. This was a change to even the Obama administration uh, policy. They weren't supportive of a resolution like this passing. They were trying to jam up that incoming administration uh, and they were pissed that General Flynn and others were successful. You know, you don't have a right in that transition to burn it all down on the way out. And I'll say this about General Flynn. My first brigade commander when I was on active duty at Fort Huachuca, Arizona, as a second lieutenant, was Colonel Michael Flynn. And he was someone who was highly regarded by all the men and women in our brigade. He spent time with the troops. doesn't matter if you were a private or a second lieutenant. This is a man who served decades. He had credibility. He had legitimacy. And I'm happy that he was doing what he was doing to protect our relationship with our nation's strongest ally and not allowing the Obama administration to burn it all down on the way out the door. 
John Solomon, a couple of things that we we've now been able to go back and look at these transcripts and I've been going through them as you have been. But that we've gleaned the first look at the 302. Now, the president late last night inquired about, well, where is the original 302 on Michael Flynn? Right. Uh, which is the right question. But we did glean one thing out of the transcripts that were released, thanks to Rick Rennell and the attorney general. And that is uh, about the original 302 that General Flynn, the reason they didn't think it was lying when asked about this call with, with Kislyak we right. know that he responded and said, well, I remember the call. I honestly don't remember if we talked about sanctions, which would. Right. All right. Then issue two is Sally Yates admission in her testimony before the House Intel Committee that when she was held over in the February 5th meeting where Comey was there with her, she was held over with him and Joe Biden was there and Clapper and Brennan and I believe Susan Rice, Samantha Powers might have been there. I don't remember that part but that she, could, she was shocked to know that Obama knew everything that was that had happened in the phone call with General Flynn, the unmasking. What does that mean about Obama? To me, that means he has to answer a lot of questions. Absolutely, as you and I have talked about, and, and here's why. Uh, uh, President Obama had a thing for <laughs> Mike Flynn. He fired him in 2014. When he meets with President Trump early in the transition, a, a month or before they have that January 4th meeting, he tells Trump, you only have two problems, North Korea and get rid of Flynn. He was out to get rid of Flynn. Why? Because Flynn was likely to reverse the Iran deal. He was likely to stand by Israel. He was likely to erase some of the Obama policies that were failures. And so this wasn't a, a counterintelligence concern. This was a preservation of Obama's legacy concern. They were using the tools of intelligence to preserve their policy. It was a policy dispute being hidden or masqueraded as a, an intelligence need. And that's what you're going to find out when these documents are all released. Well, what's taken so long to release them, Congressman Zeldin? I mean, can we now go back into the Obama administration archives and see what they knew when and where? I mean, you know, that Susan Rice memo of that, again, that January 5th meeting, note to self, Obama said, do everything by the book. Uh, well, that was a CYA of all CYAs to me. And how great is it that we have Rick Grinnell where he is? If there's a way to do it, he's not someone, he's not only someone who can get it done, he's someone who could get it done today. Every single day, he's providing the American public with more information, not telling people how to think, but just providing the information for the American public to form their own independent judgment. I wish our government had 50, had 500 Rick Grinnells right now. Now, by the way, leaking classified info is illegal. They, they, there was a leak in early 2017 to the Washington Post, and there's a lot of people who are talking about whether or not uh, what the Obama administration was doing with the unmasking was, was illegal. They're not talking about how it's just black and white criminal that it, and it's crystal clear that that leak in the Washington Post is something that should result in whoever ordered that, at the very least, should be brought up on criminal charges. One other thing I would mention is one other name of the unmasking that's not getting a lot of attention, Michael Dempsey. Michael Dempsey was the person who was the daily briefer for President Obama. The presidential daily briefing, Michael Dempsey was the one in charge, and he was on the unmasking list as well. Great, John. John yeah, that's a great point. And also another person I want to point out, Sarah Raskin. She's the wife of Congressman Jamie Raskin, who is one of the most rabid anti-Trump members of Congress. She was a deputy treasury secretary in charge of financial policy, not really an intelligence official. Why did she request an unmasking? There are a lot of people that were looking at this stuff, and a lot of them didn't seem to have those job responsibilities, the intelligence, national security job 
responsibilities that would seem to authorize or, or uh, require them to unmask. So I think what the congressman just said is right. There, there are way too many people asking. Uh, and, um, you know, the good news is that the president has tightened this up. President Trump going forward has tightened up the unmasking rules, and you've seen a remarkable decline in the searching of Americans' phone records under President Trump. But we don't have the truth about what went on in the fall of 16 yet. we got to keep digging. Uh, all right. Now let's transition, if we can, a little bit here into opening the country. And, you know, Adam Schiff and the Democrats and all the spending, Lee Zeldin, uh, really three trillion dollars on on things that are unrelated to covid relief. And tell me why, even though you're in New York, why should somebody in a red state with that elects responsible governors that doesn't run deficits and debt and funds their punch, uh, pensions? Why should they be forced to bail out a state like New York, New Jersey? Illinois or California. Well, and the size of the ask doesn't pass a smell test, and it keeps growing. Now Governor Cuomo is asking for $61 billion, and he's asking for the federal government not, not just to bail out the state right now, but to bail out New York State for the next three years. And if you look at the bill that's the over 1,800-page, $3 trillion bill that's going to be voted on today, the bill that includes checks for people who are in our country illegally, a massive prison release, uh, throughout America implementing ballot harvesting and making voter ID illegal, and, and then changing the unemployment provision in a way where people won't be going back to work for almost a year because they're going to get paid a whole lot more to stay at home and not do any work than to go back to their jobs. Now, in, in that bill, though, as well, is that you have hundreds Hundreds of billions of dollars for state local governments beyond what they are even asking for. Whether it is a government in a part of the country that's least affected, or it's a part of the country where the government has been and the people have been most affected, it's one thing to give people money towards helping for survival, whether it's a business or it's that you know it's the local government. But but for a local government to be asking for a certain number and to add hundreds of billions of dollars to it. It doesn't pass any smell test. This is not a product of, of bipartisanship or discussion or compromise or debate or vetting. This is a play call by Speaker Pelosi to be hyperpartisan in a pathway to nowhere rather than working with the president and congressional Republicans to try to actually get something good done. All right. I'm going to leave it right there. Thank you, uh, Congressman Lee Zel uh, Zeldin, John Solomon. Appreciate both of you. All you're doing we will continue to update it. You know, when I put a ban on, those people went, for the most part, not here. And I'm not happy about this. It's terrible because it's life, whether it's here or Europe. But we put a ban on very early on China coming in. They went to Europe. Most of those people went to Europe. That's why Italy was so badly affected. And you, you just see what they're going through. China tried to blame Europe for this. China tried to blame Europe. Well, then they were passing around conspiracy theories that, oh, yeah, uh, that the United States started this virus. That was never true. Uh, we know that China protected themselves with their Wuhan province travel ban. You couldn't travel to Wuhan province from any other part of China or from Wuhan to any other part of China. You couldn't travel in or out within China, but you can travel internationally, which was really awful. Then we learned that they were buying up all of the medical equipment that would be necessary for a pandemic from all around the world. And then we saw them selling that equipment to the countries that they helped infect uh, with the virus because they lied about all the numbers and everything that happened there. And then they were selling that at a profit. So holding them accountable is going to be a fairly big task. It does raise important questions. One of the first things I think you think about is, OK, with the Chinese, they screwed the world. We could have prevented 95 percent of this. People died. They should be held 
financially accountable. They own about a trillion dollars of our debt. Just say you're not going to pay it back. Problem with that, and it's a problem, is that if we do it punitively like that, then what is the fallout for other countries that we want to purchase our debt because the world's economy is based on the U.S. dollar? It's not as simple as it sounds, although it sounds like a great idea. The other thing is now the president pushing harder. We'll get into this, by the way, uh, in the final hour of the program of today, opening the country and reopening it safely. There's a website that is opened up and it's called uh, reopenamericanow.org. And it's to help urge your local state federal officials to save the U.S. and get Americans back to work. I was actually pretty shocked and interested to see that there's a local News 12 station. It's a Long Island television news station that uh, had a reporter go out. There was a big protest in Comac, Long Island, and a lot of people were there and demanding they reopen the country and uh, yelling at the guy that he's fake news. And much worse. It was pretty entertaining. Poor guy couldn't handle it. He looked upset. Uh, anyway, uh, Rick Manning is here. He is the president of Americans for Limited Government, former Labor Department official. All right. So the second quarter shot. We know that. Now the question is, all right, that's April, May, June. If we start in July, if we can open up the country and open it up safely, I think we're beginning to see success stories emerge uh, we know a decline with the opening in Florida of 15 percent decline in cases. That's great news. Uh, I was a little skeptical of Georgia. I'm less skeptical. Down 12 percent with the reopening there. We've learned that people are getting very creative for opening up nail salons and the like. And restaurants even are now building out models with pe plexiglass, people wearing masks and putting in new ventilation systems. And people are getting creative. I know that sports teams are preparing to do anything possible. Have these thermo turnstiles. Everyone's temperature is taken. Everybody's given a team mask. Everybody has to drink their beer through a straw and take a quick bite of their hot dog and put it back on. Uh, Rick, is that all possible by July? Well, I, I think it's possible. There, here's the key. We have a... Uh, the private sector is anxious and ready to go. They're ready to move this country forward and get out of this malaise that we've been put in as we focus on this virus. The critical piece that's different, Sean, is that we are now in a position where we know so much more than we did three months ago. We have so many innovators who are working to defeat this virus that that's going to happen. The question is, are we going to survive economically in the interim? Opening up the country helps us survive, helps us small businesses get back to work, and puts America back to work. And that's what we need to do because this is a two-part process. We have to defeat the, the virus, but we also have to, to keep ourselves solvent in the process. Well, I mean, you can see the American people want to open up. I, look, I'm, I'm a broken record, but it, you know, there are anecdotal amounts of evidence out there that we know that states that didn't protect their elderly population on March 25th, uh, Governor Cuomo signed an executive order forcing nursing homes, long-term care facilities to accept from hospitals COVID-19 positive patients. And that's where fully a third of New York deaths took place. Then on uh, March 29th, four days later, Pennsylvania, Governor Wolf there, he made the same dumb mistake. Then on April 6th, uh, Governor Murphy, New Jersey, he made the same dumb mistake. And they were making dumber mistakes in Michigan where Whitmer is, and but they wouldn't allow you to cut your lawn. So the question here is, OK, we should be able to learn from that. And we also should be able to learn from all of the people that were stocking the store shelves that kept New Yorkers and Long Islanders fed the entire time during the uh, height of this pandemic. 
because they wore their gloves and masks, and the guys I talked to never got sick because I talked to them all the time. No, you're exactly right. In fact, every governor in the nation should be forced to get a tutorial from Florida Governor Ron DeSantis on how to do this because he protected their elderly population in, in Florida while keeping a relatively free economy in the process. He took a lot of grief for that, but the fact is, Florida did not end up with the problems in the nursing homes that uh, the rest of many of these other states have. Listen, I've got a stepsister who's in equivalent of a nursing home facility right now where they've had four people, four staff members confirmed positive for COVID because they used half the facility for COVID, half the facility for uh, for regular patients. And she's scared to death right now because she doesn't have her results back, but she's scared to death she's going to have this because that'd be a death sentence for her. So this is personal with me. These governors who've done this, these governors who've put COVID seniors at risk over this, by putting people with the virus in their facilities, those, those governors are responsible and they're guilty of what's tantamount to a manslaughter at this juncture. I'm, I'm really, really concerned that that, become, that not become national policy as people like Nancy Pelosi would like for it to become. All right, last word. If we say to China we're not going to pay back the debt you're holding, what are the ramifications of that? I would imagine other countries would be, well, less likely to buy up some of the debt, which we're obviously taking on right now. Well, at a time when we're printing about $6 trillion more than we bring in. Um, yeah, about about the, that time, yeah, exactly. Would you be, and I are thinking foolish. the same way. It'd be foolish for us to sit, to effectively make it so our debt was not purchasable by the rest of the world. But we could do a debt swap um, between the debt that Americans hold of old Chinese bonds from before Mao took over and basically do a debt swap with our Treasury and create basically create that wealth here and take it off how much China, how much we owe China, in terms of that kind of a deal, and that would keep our keep our sovereign dollar being really strong while effectively having China pay the price. Uh, all right, I appreciate it. Thanks so much for your time, Rick Manning. By the way, Rick Manning's website reopenamericanow.org, If you want to go sign it. Uh, all right, let's get to our busy phones. In the meantime, let's say hi to Don. Is in Iowa. Don, hi. How are you? Glad you called, sir. Sean, hi. A pleasure talking to you. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you for calling. What's going on with you? How are you hanging in there in Iowa? Well, we're doing good. I'm uh, driving tractor-trailer right now. I just delivered a load of masks into Waterloo, Iowa. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're, we're getting the, the product to people that, that needs to be gotten out there. But uh, right now, trucking is in a little bit of trouble. Well, tell me about um, it, because a very good friend of mine, it just so happens, is in the trucking industry and just got into it. And he told me, for example, the load price is down. Uh, I'm, I'm not probably not giving you the right number, about 40 cents a mile. Is that about right? Uh, down 40 cents a mile off of its original rate. Yes, sometimes more. In fact, okay. I was just offered a load that was probably about 60% off of what it normally offered. Yes. Uh, well, 50%. So, but I heard yes. the rules were also lifted in terms of you, you can drive for longer periods of time. Um, and they're very strict governing rules and bureaucratic nonsense you have to go through. But by the way, I've got to thank you, too, because if you guys didn't truck and bring all the medical supplies, all the food, all the medicines to New York and Long Island. In other words, if you would have shut down, we're dead. We would either starve to death or we would have, you know, everybody would be dying of covid. Well, thank you, Sean. I appreciate it. Uh, but it's, driving, that's what that's what we do. We, we you know, we, we don't want to be home. Uh, although right now, I'll bet you 
at least 30% of the trucks on the road are parked, not, not doing anything because uh, these are guys that own their own rigs that if you're going to haul for just the price of freight and the price of fuel, why would you, why would you leave your home? And, and I'm not saying I blame I them. I heard I'm, things, I'm, though, are just beginning now to turn around and get back a, to a little bit more of a normal point. Is that true or not true? Was I misinformed? It, it is probably true. You know, the biggest thing that nobody is seeing is since all the manufacturing was shut down, well, naturally, the freight is going to take a hit. We're going to have less loads for the trucks that are on the road. So now that manufacturing is starting to pick back up, then, yes, we're going to start seeing a, a, a turnaround. Absolutely. Uh, well, you know what? Why don't you give Linda, if you want, I know this guy that owns a bunch of trucks, and I know that one of the biggest challenges is finding good drivers. If you're interested, I'll pass you your name on. Uh, I, you sound like you're independent, right? I guess you're on a 1099. You're a subcontractor, right? That's that's correct. Yes. All right. Well, if you want, I'll pass it on because I know they do. They keep their trucks on the road and they keep them busy. And I know they're pretty good people too, and a nice to work for. If you're interested. Well, thank you, Shauna. Any help is uh, uh, absolutely appreciated. You know, you one it. of the things that's going wrong out here is drivers are not eligible. Well, we're eligible for these small business loans, but they're being eaten up by bigger businesses, and so the little guys aren't getting any help out here. And you you have an ear. Well, that shouldn't be. I mean, we have four trillion dollars in in those loan guarantees. Um, Right. Yeah. um, So I would not give up. Work with your bank. What I heard from another friend of mine that owns a small business, the first time his bank, you know, didn't get the job done. The third time they did finally get it done. And it just becomes a a, you got to work through the bureaucracy a little bit, which didn't surprise me. You're dealing with government. You're dealing with banks. All right, let's get to our busy phones. Uh, Diana is in California. Diana, hi, how are you? And we're glad you called. Hi, Sean. God bless you. We're, we, uh, for Trump, I know this is not Trump's fault. Um, my husband and I have been in business going on 40 years in the locksmith industry. My husband came down with cancer a couple years ago. Um, so Ooh, he I'm can't sorry. be out in public very much. I, I get um, pneumonia, so we had to close our locksmith business down. Went to the bank talked to the bank and said, this is the situation. And they said, well, do you have employees? I said, no. And they said, well, do you have any debt? I said, no. And they said, we can't help you. You fall through the cracks. So we've lost $50,000. But the whole point now. was, as I understood it, if you owned a small business, it was to incentivize businesses to keep paying their employees. That's, a, that's no what I understood. Employees. I know we I have no employees. Okay. We haven't been able to find employees in but three years. Yeah, I, yeah. Now I'm understanding. But there also is supposed to be small business loans available too. Are you not the, eligible for that? Uh, we have a line of credit that we have nothing on, and they said since we have a line of credit, we're not eligible for that. So we're using our our. My husband's 64 this year, and we're using um, his our savings, which is very little, to keep going. Oh, boy. Um, well, if there's anything we can do, can you tell us about your business? Maybe we can pr- help promote it. Would that help you? Well, the problem is my husband and I are the only ones that are running it. We've been trying to keep our, our customers as best we can going on a mobile service because we have CHP, we have City of Chico, we have all the large schools and accounts in the area, and we're trying to keep them going. But even yeah. though we're keeping them going, we're still down $50,000 because our store hasn't been able to be open. So it's just been really hard. And at this If there's point, anything we can do to help you, uh, get a contact from Linda. For, yeah, we're putting our house up for sale. 
because oh, we're having to retire or try to figure out how to retire because we can't keep going the way it's going. Are you going to so. get out of California? No, we have a house already um, that we have, and we're going to probably move downsize and move to that one. But um, we, at this point, are not because our children are here. So, um, and my grandchild uh, here. Listen, I, I could tell you is from everything that I can see, if you can just hang on through the fall a little bit, and you know what, we'll, we'll have... We'll, we'll do a little background and see if we can find a crack. I just talked to Mnuchin's office today about some, some issues and just to get clarification. I'm going to take your specific information. Let me see what they tell me, and then uh, I'll have Linda get back to you, okay? Okay, I appreciate that. Just God bless you. We pray for President Trump every day, and yeah. we pray for him every day and everyone around him to protect him because of that. There's one other thing. Constantly. Try and be, if you can, because I guess you're only the only breadwinner, right? Although you can't get out either. You have to protect yourself, right? I get pneumonia. I've been going to the Ugh. store and meeting people, and we do all of this. Now, you got to be careful. Here and everything else. So i got to be careful. He's got to be careful. And so we're having, like I said, we're using our little savings we have that we were going to start. We've only had 10 weeks vacation in 40 years, didn't we? Oh, my gosh. And we haven't had any employees, like I said, in three Look, years. We've here's the most important bit of information years. I'm going to give you. Wear your mask, protect yourselves, yes, social distance. I don't we care. Have, you know, yes. Listen, if you're in your health condition, do that first. And then when we get to the point where... Uh, this is behind us, and it looks like, from all we can see, it will be behind us, that we'll be able to, uh, you'll be able to get back out and do what you do best. Um, in the meantime, we'll take a look at your case. I, I don't have a definitive answer on the top of my head. So, you're right. Some of this gets complicated. There are cracks. Um, but I know they've been able to work with people uh, in similar situations and help them. Let's see what we can find out. Okay? You God bless. All right, God bless. 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. Coming up next, our final news roundup and information overload hour. I note that Fox News has turned over the equivalent of hours of its programming to what they're calling this unmasking for people just coming to it, for people who may encounter this PR effort. Can you once and for all explain to people what it is they're seeing? Well, uh, good to see you, Brian. And what they're seeing right now is the politicization of the intelligence community. All right, news roundup and information overload hour. All right, so there you have Brian Lyon Williams of uh, MSDNC, state-run socialist television, Area 51, Roswell, Rachel Maddow's channel. And uh, Lyon Brian is lecturing Fox News with the guy that is up to his eyeballs uh, in the unmasking of American citizens, shredding what would be the Bill of Rights, our Constitution, the rule of law. Lion Bryan never reported on Hillary's obstruction or Hillary's dirty uh, Russian disinformation dossier. Uh, I don't remember Lion Bryan uh, leading the charge as it relates to, uh, let's see, premeditated fraud on a FISA court and four warrants and a scope issue even after the subsource of steel debunks uh uh, Christopher Steele's own dossier or Steele himself doesn't even stand up for his own dossier. Uh, all I remember is Lion Brian uh, out there with the rest of his MSDNC uh, colleagues uh, spewing Russia, 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 impeach, impeach, Ukraine, Ukraine, all things. I hate Trump every second minute hour of every 24 hour day. Um, so, you know, it's the same. Let's see. Is this not the same 
uh, lying Brian Williams that lied about his experiences in Katrina and the Iraq war. What you know, was you it may... in New Orleans that you saw that, that that kind of matured a matured man? You know, it's funny. Here we are remembering uh, the loss of our colleague, Ed Bradley. Ed just handed me an Emmy for our work in Katrina. Just weeks ago, handed me the, the Emmy that I accepted for my colleagues. And when I was down there, I used to be a firefighter, volunteer firefighter in New Jersey. I was wearing the boots that I've owned since 1976. I had them pulled up as waiters. When you look out of your hotel room uh, window in the French Quarter and watch a, a man float, float by face down, when, when you see bodies that you last saw in Banda Aceh, Indonesia, and swore to yourself that you would never see in your country. The only problem, the hotel that he was uh, staying in wasn't flooded. There was no chance of any body floating anywhere. Um, but, you know, he's now relegated to late night cable host. Um, and I just listened to this. And, and what part of him not asking uh, about the injustice with General Flynn? Let's see. General Flynn served his country 33 years, including war zones in Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, General Flynn uh, lost his house, went bankrupt uh, and literally lost almost four years of his life only to now know that he was unmasked from November of 2016 through January of 2017, 48 separate times by 39 separate uh, Obama administration officials. Uh, what part of this story is lying, Brian, not under understanding that there are constitutional issues at, at, in play? But by the way, there is a reason it's called Nightly News with Lester Holt and not lying, Brian. Speaking of Brian, Brian Kilmeade is with us. Uh, New York Times bestselling author, radio host, TV host, fill-in host. He's a host 24-7. Uh, how are you, sir? How are you doing? Please don't associate me just because my first name is the same. Uh, well, because... I mean, Lion Brian could refer to anybody, but uh, no, I'm not referring to you. Thank you. Yeah. How are you holding up during this COVID stuff? You doing okay? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I go to a small West Babylon studio, and I'll sit there for six hours with three-hour TV, three-hour radio. Better than 99.9% .9 of everybody listening, I get it, but it's not the excitement of walking to the Fox News building, going from the 15th to the 21st floor, gas, boom, boom, boom. It seems like a different job. So all of this is going on, and we've got an election happening. And I'm watching a never-forgetful Joe Biden uh, every single day, Brian— this guy steps in it. We have some poll numbers out today. Americans are not blaming Donald Trump for the coronavirus shutdown. He's fighting hard to open the country. Rasmussen has him at 49% today. Uh, we know Biden's brain surgeon assured voters he's not brain damaged. That, that had to be reassuring. And uh, now we have Biden pledging to take away Pennsylvania jobs and pledging to hire AOC. How's that all going to work out for him? Well, not only that, Bernie Sanders. Uh, they want Bernie Sanders' mailing list and AOC and Bernie are probably going to be on their energy committee. Wouldn't that be great? Uh, as Think about this. I mean, really, goodbye fracking. That means goodbye Pennsylvania and Ohio. That means goodbye oil and gas. Don't even think about grabbing Texas. Uh, you might be a tough guy and think you're going to lose West Virginia anyway and talk tough on coal. That's fine, rather than work to keep those coal jobs going by having a burn cleaner. Uh, so I think that this, he's in the short term. By the way, he's got the nomination. Why he's kissing up to them now blows me away. He's got to be going, if he's smart, he'd be going to the middle to be able to get the Midwest. But you saw the CNN poll that everybody's running from at CNN. 
It shows the president winning in every battleground state, including the one he was in yesterday. You know, what's amazing about that poll is it's from fake news CNN, and they didn't even highlight the real results of the poll. I mean, that, that's how much they hate him over there. Um, you don't get into the cable wars the way I do. And I'm, I assume it's by choice. I mean, you could you can jump in the fray anytime you want. Is there a reason why you just kind of ignore these idiots that attack us all the time? A hmm. couple of things. On my show, it's not my show. So if I decide to take my three minutes and I don't talk about this spy, you know, uh, Mike Flynn and what this, this idiot judge just said, and I go, hey, listen, by the way, Jimmy Kimmel last night went after me, and here's my answer. Everyone's in my ear going, Brian, move on. It's not about you. It's, it is the Sean Hannity show. So if you really have that, that's your field. That's your, uh, you know, the, that's your gridiron. I feel as though that I have a third and if they tack the whole show, we would do it collectively. The other thing you told me is, don't take on a comedian. And then you go out and destroy Jimmy Kimmel. And I'm like, wait a second, I should have taped that Hannity conversation, or well, I should have no, at least me, unmasked you. This is a true story. I said the hardest people to debate are comedians, because you can pin them down in a corner and literally bloody them and bludgeon yep. them with an intellectual argument. Then all of a sudden, everything's a joke. And it, so it's a little harder. Now, in the case of Jimmy Kimmel, I was not going to lose. It just I just decided I'm just going to I'm not going to take his crap because he's making fun of the first lady who's reading books to children. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and, and he's Mr. Oh, we don't pick on our kids and we got to love. I'm, I'm all for that. But the same uh, holds for her kids, not just your kids, Jimmy. Well, the other thing is, uh, Sean, you'd be surprised. And you know this because you, you meet our listeners and our viewers. They don't even know who the hell Brian Stelter is. Like, you know, Brian Williams, people... <laughs> no, 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 no. We have a name for Brian. It's Humpty Dumpty, the conspiracy right. theorist. So we're giving... You're bringing them up. And I know that was a theory, too, with Bill O'Reilly when Keith Oberman went after him. He was so vicious, but Bill is so much more successful. The question was, you know, should he go after Oberman and get people to see... Get him involved in that debate? When you, you know, when you go after some of these guys, you're kind of alerting them that they still have a show. And our viewers are with us. And I don't really even think that they have a clue that CNN is actually going out of their way to say, why is Fox obsessed with Russia, which is comical in, its, in the sentence, when they were obsessed for two, two and three-quarter years. Yeah, the but they ignore the twist, dossier. They don't like it. Yeah, they ignore the dossier. They, ignore, they like obstruction if it's Trump, but not Hillary's emails. They care about quid pro quos, but not Joe and Hunter. Uh, they're yeah. all about I believing, but they don't believe uh, Tara Reid, and they dismiss her, and she had a lot more evidence and corroboration and witnesses and the haunting call from her mom to Larry King. Yeah, well, if you really look at it, though, um, I take my sh I, I don't engage in these everlasting feuds with people that are insignificant to me. I, I, you know, I take my shots when I feel like it and only when I feel like it. Well, yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was front page everywhere. You're you're going you're, you're going after the solar plexus of Brian Williams and destroying him. Um, you really are. And it's making people understand what his background is and how dare he go there. He better, you know, clean up your past. If you're going to go, you know, throw a haymaker when someone's not looking. And, you know what the problem with, for, for them with me is, is I don't care. I don't <laughs> care. Whatever switch I'm supposed to have that cares about what people say about me is gone. It might have existed in the early days of my career, but it doesn't exist any longer. And uh, I'm not I am. I'm just not going to take their crap. And if if they want to get in the, in the arena with me, I'll, for me, it's fun. 
I, I, I do it just to entertain myself and to also expose them for the liars and hypocrites and ponies that they are. I mean, because, you know, we do have a media information crisis. You're in talk radio. You're on Fox. I'll tell you right now, if it's not for the few of us, it's not even all of Fox, because some people on Fox slant left. We know who they are. Um, that, you know, we are more balanced. They're 100 percent in Democratic, radical, socialist, 100 percent. Fake news, CNN, MSDNC, the New York Toilet Paper Times, all of them. The networks, all of them are all anti-Trump. I'll give you an example, probably the best example yet. And I know you'll have a lot of callers and you'll at the end of the day, you're going to say Brian did have the best example. Uh, there are so many aspects to this pandemic story. Number one, how do people teach their kids? Number two is how do you beat the virus? Number three, how do you stand up the economy? There's so many elements to it. It's almost overwhelming. You cannot go try it on CNN. You cannot go five minutes without them linking everything to Trump. A kid is having trouble at school uh, learning online or they don't have the Internet. It is Trump's fault. It is Trump's fault that China and the WHO, it's Trump's fault that he did this deal while they, the virus was going. They can't stop themselves from linking everything back to him. And if I'm just a TV expert, I'm saying, how do you expect to grow your audience when you're telling 47% of the country, go jump in a lake? And I, I'm not looking to do that. You're not looking to do that. I just have too too much respect for the people of the country. Um, do you think when I look at these polls today and then, you know, Joe Biden is hiding in his basement. And every time Joe Biden speaks, uh, if he had a fastball, Brian, it's gone. If he had a curveball, that's gone. If he had a slow pitch, I'd even argue that's gone. And it's one major podcast screw up uh, brain fart after another. This guy can't string three sentences together. And can you imagine if he was doing three events a day, uh, what you should be doing right now is the nominee. <laughs> no, I yeah, I mean, can you imagine that? And that, that's why when he gets picks at number two, you know, it's going to be Barack Obama against Donald Trump. It is not going to be Joe Biden. Joe Biden will go out there, say a few words and go, you must remember the 45th president of the United States. Uh, you mean Barack he, Obama, who yeah. knew all about General Flynn, that guy? Right. Bar uh, Barack Obama's he, uh, intelligence that abused their power. Yeah, I'm, I'm all for that. All right. Stay right there. Brian Kilmeade. Uh, by the way, he wrote a great book um, about uh, Sam Houston and the Alamo Avengers, the Texas victory that changed America, uh, American history. And as we continue, Brian Kilmeade, uh, co-host, Fox and Friends, nationally syndicated radio host, uh, friend also. Uh, all right. So the election's 172 days away. Uh, Brian, how do you see this falling out? Wow. I, I actually think that the best thing for the president is I think the ball's in his court. And, you know, he's, he's bringing the ball up. It is really how he handles this, how he takes the science, how he, how he pushes but doesn't overwhelm these Democratic governors, how he's able to tap in these battleground states as we stand up the economy. And the thing is, if it was just one of those things where it was a typical year, I would say the size of the rallies, what type of message, let's see what happens at the RNC, let's look at the platform. But it, it really doesn't matter what Joe Biden does. It's all about what President Trump does. And I believe that now... Sure, there's a chance of a distraction of a Mueller report, a Ukrainian call. I get that. There's a very small chance. Most of all, those controversies are breaking his direction. He's going to be on an offensive here, and he's in control to a degree of marginalizing the virus and marshalling the therapies and marshalling the vaccines. And if he does that, looks organized. And I think the first thing he says now, he, he acknowledges the 82,000 have lost their lives. He gets it. 
He understands it's empathy first, and that's instinctive. He cares about people more than buildings, more well, than you the know, economy. There are, moments, there, there are a couple of moments that stand out where it was clear that this is hard. You know, what do you tell Barron? I said, it's bad. It's really bad. And then he had the exchange with uh, fake news Acosta. Uh, and he goes, no, no happy talk, Jim. We're talking about death, Jim, death. Now, I do believe that the fact that he put the travel ban in effect on January 31st after the first identified coronavirus case in the U.S., uh, 10 days later, subsequent travel bans, quarantines, and frankly, you and I both know that if it wasn't for Donald Trump, New York was dead. They had no preparation. He built the hospitals. He gave all the medical equipment, all the ventilators. And this is going to be the key, getting these states open. I feel like they are waiting for the big check. And they don't feel the urgency to start their own engine. And they're, they're, that big check is not coming. New York is going to have to work their way out of it. Pennsylvania is going to have to work their way out of it. New Jersey, I think, gets it. I think Governor Murphy is beginning to get it. Governor Cuomo, we're within percentage points here on Long Island. I know you've got a huge audience, and they don't, might not even know where Long Island is. But on Long Island, we're within percentage points of hitting every mark. And he's keeping us close to the end of the month. He's going to destroy every gym owner, every dry cleaner, every car wash. It's true. That's what these three weeks mean. Uh, wait, and, the same guy that put all the COVID patients, didn't use the hospital yeah. beds uh, that Donald Trump built and manned for him and then converted to COVID, and he sent him back to the nursing homes. All right, Brian Kilmeade, Fox & Friends, New York Times bestselling author. Uh, Brian, as always, we love having you on. Thanks for being with us. Thanks a lot, Sean. Appreciate it. 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. Quick break. Right back. We'll continue on the other side. All right, 25 till the top of the hour. President held a, uh, a good press conference today. I want to go to this as he talks about opening the country, doing it safely as the resistance to opening anything continues to, well, rise. As of this morning, almost every state has taken steps to begin reopening, and the American people are doing an extraordinary job of continuing to take precautions while at the same time wanting to start, and they will be starting to resume their American way of life. We uh, will be reigniting our economic engines. We're going to be taking care of our most vulnerable, which are our senior citizens and some others. We're going to be working very, very hard on our senior citizens and our nursing homes and various communities to support those that are struggling in this very difficult time. Others don't have the same kind of struggle. For example, today, Secretary Perdue, together with Ivanka Trump, launched the Farmers and Families Food Box Program, which will provide $3 billion to help small farmers and uh, it'll be helping farmers, ranchers, but it'll be bringing food to some of the food lines and some of the food kitchens that you've been seeing on television. And I said, why are we doing that? We have all of this tremendous food produced by our farmers and our ranchers. And so we're going to be buying $3 billion worth of that food. Great for everybody, our farmers, our ranchers, and the people that need great food. A key feature of our Reopening plan is the largest and most ambitious testing system in the world by far. America is now conducting close to 350,000 tests per day, an unthinkable number just a short while ago. More than anybody in the world by far, suggesting many states now have excess testing capacity to monitor for new outbreaks. Florida, many other states have so much testing, they 
The testers are waiting for people to show up. It's great. Another essential pillar of our strategy to keep America open is the development of effective treatments and vaccines as quickly as possible. I want to see if we can do that very quickly. We're looking to, uh, when I say quickly, we're looking to get it by the end of the year if we can, maybe before. We're doing tremendously well. From the earliest days of the pandemic, we have marshaled the genius of American scientists and researchers from all across government and the private sector, from academia, from everywhere to vanquish the virus. And tremendous strides have been made. I can tell you, I get to see it every day. Tremendous strides are being made. Scientists at the NIH began developing the first vaccine candidate on January 11th. Think of that within hours of the virus's genetic code being posted online. So January 11th, most people never even heard what was going on January 11th, and we were out there trying to develop a vaccine, not even knowing what we were up against. Then my administration cut through every piece of red tape to achieve the fastest ever by far launch of a vaccine trial for this new virus, this very vicious virus. And I want to thank all of the doctors and scientists and researchers involved because they've never moved like this or never even close. The NIH and the HHS have also been working constantly with private industry to evaluate more than 100 potential treatments. The Food and Drug Administration has swiftly approved more than 130 therapies for active trials. That's what we have right now, 130. And another 450 are in the planning stages and tremendous uh, potential awaits. I think you are going to have some very interesting things to report in the not-too-distant future. And thank you very much to Dr. Hahn. Through a historic series of funding bills, my administration is providing roughly $10 billion to support a medical research effort without parallel. I especially want to thank Senator Steve Daines of Montana for his incredible work. He has worked so hard to secure additional funding for vaccine development. He has been right at the forefront. Today, I want to update you on the next stage of this momentous medical initiative. It's called Operation Warp Speed. That means big and it means fast. A massive scientific, industrial, and logistical endeavor unlike anything our country has seen since the Manhattan Project. You really could say that nobody's seen anything like we're doing, whether it's ventilators or testing. Nobody's seen anything like we're doing now within our country since the Second World War. Incredible. Its objective is to finish developing and then to manufacture and distribute a proven coronavirus vaccine as fast as possible. Again, we'd love to see if we could do it prior to the end of the year. We think we're going to have some very good results coming out very quickly. In addition, it will continue accelerating the development of diagnostics and breakthrough therapies. The Great National Project will bring together the best of American industry and innovation, the full resources of the United States government, and the excellence and precision of the United States military. We have the military totally involved. We're also working very strongly with other countries who are also uh, have some great, great scientists, doctors, and we're all working very closely together, and they're viewing us as the leader, and we are uh, 
the relationship with other countries on solving this problem has been uh, incredible. To date, Operation Warp Speed has brought together all of the experts across the federal government from places like the NIH, CDC, FDA, and many other agencies. This historic partnership will now bring together the full resources of the Department of Health and Human Services with the Department of Defense. And we know what that means. That means the full power and strength of military, the military, and that really talking about the logistics. If we get it, when we get it, that means the logistics, getting it out so that everybody can take it. And today we're proud to announce the addition of two of the most highly respected skilled professionals in our country, worldwide respected. Operation Warp Speed's chief scientist will be Dr. Mosef Slowey, a world-renowned immunologist who helped create 14 new vaccines that's a lot of our new vaccines, in 10 years during his time in the private sector, one of the most respected men in the world in the production and really on the formulation of vaccines. Joining Dr. Slowey as chief operating officer will be General Gus Perna, a four-star general who currently oversees 190,000 service members, civilians and contractors as commander of the U.S. Army Material Command. That means logistics. That means getting it out. we got to get it out there. So, General, thank you very much. And, Doctor, thank you very much. It's great to have you on board. Really highly respected people. Thank you. These two outstanding individuals will provide more details following my remarks. In preparation for this initiative, experts throughout the government have been collaborating to evaluate roughly 100 vaccine candidates from all over the world. They have identified 14 that they believe are the most promising, and they're working to narrow that list still further. So we started off with over 100. We're down to 14, and we have some really interesting choices to be made. They're doing very well. Through Operation Warp Speed, the federal government is providing unprecedented support and resources to safely expedite the trials moving on at record, record, record speed. While we accelerate the final phases of vaccine trials, Operation Warp Speed will be simultaneously accelerating its manufacturing and manufacturing process. In other words, we're getting ready so that when we get the good word that we have the vaccine, we have the formula, we have what we need, we're ready to go, as opposed to taking years to gear up. We're gearing up, it's risky. It's expensive, but we'll be saving massive amounts of time. We'll be saving years if we do this properly, and that's what we're doing. So we're gearing up on the assumption that we'll have in the near future, relatively near future, a vaccine. Typically, pharmaceutical companies wait to manufacture a vaccine, a vaccine until it has received all of the regulatory approvals necessary. And this can delay vaccines availability to the public as much as a year and even more than that. However, our task is so urgent that under Operation Warp Speed, the federal government will invest in manufacturing all of the top vaccine candidates before they're approved. So we're knowing exactly what we're doing before they're approved. That means they better come up with a good vaccine because we're ready to deliver it. 
This will eliminate any unnecessary delay and enable us to begin providing Americans with a proven vaccine the day our scientists say, we're ready, we got it. And as we work to bring critical medical production back to America, these vaccines will manufacture that we're going to be focused on and manufacturing. They're all going to be right here in the USA. Now we're working, as I said, with other people outside, and that's fine, too. Uh, We want to get to the solution. We know exactly where the other countries are, and uh, we'll be very happy if they were able to do it. We'll help them with delivery. We'll help them with it in every way we can. We have uh, no ego when it comes to this. No ego whatsoever. Operation Warp Speed is also making the necessary preparations to distribute these life-saving treatments at scale. So we're talking about massive numbers so that millions of Americans will quickly have access to them. This includes ramping up production of supplies and needed for distribution. And and I have to say, we're also very, very much involved in uh, other things other than the vaccine. If you take a look at what we're doing beyond vaccines, it's going to be very interesting. And we may talk about that in a little in a little while. But this includes ramping up production of supplies needed for distribution, such as cold chain storage, glass vials, needles, syringes, and more. We'll have everything right on hand, ready to go. When a vaccine is ready, the U.S. government will deploy every plane, truck, and soldier required to help distribute it to the American people as quickly as possible. America is blessed to have the most brilliant, talented doctors and researchers anywhere in the world. We have the mightiest military by far in the world. Our military is completely rebuilt. Much of the equipment has been delivered. Some of it's on the way. All made right here in the USA. We took over very, very empty cupboards, I say medically. We also had empty cupboards in a military sense. Our military was in sad shape. It was depleted. We now have the strongest military the United States has ever had by far and the best equipment. And you hear that outside, that beautiful sound. Those are truckers that are with us all the way. They're protesting in favor of President Trump as opposed to against. There's hundreds of trucks out there. And uh, that's the sign of love, not the sign of your typical protest. So I want to thank our great truckers. They like me and I like them. We're working on something together. But we have the mightiest, and they'll be helping us with this, by the way, speaking of truckers. We have the mightiest military in the long history of humankind. We have the best and most devoted workers ever to walk the face of the earth. And now we're combining all of these amazing strengths for the most aggressive vaccine project in history. There's never been a vaccine project anywhere in history like this. And I just want to make something clear. It's very important. Vaccine or no vaccine, we're back. And we're starting the process. I think we're going to come up with a solution to a problem like this country probably has never seen before. But it's an honor to be your president. We're doing a great job. These people are doing an incredible job. The people right here, I want to thank you all. Total professionals, great men, great women. Thank you all very much. Please. All right. That's the president from uh, earlier today in his press conference, uh, rightly pointing out how you open the country, how you do it safely. I mean, if we don't learn from the failures of New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and the success of Florida and Texas and Georgia, 
uh, then we're really stupid. If we don't learn how the medical manufacturing plant stayed safe, we're stupid. If we don't learn how those that worked in grocery stores all throughout New York work safely, even with big crowds of people, then we're just stupid. You got to apply what we've learned. Protect the elderly. Wear the mask. All right, that's going to wrap things up for today. And, uh, yeah, we'll be getting to the bottom. More details of the deep state abuse of power corruption on Monday, opening up America safely and getting on with an election. Because as of Monday, it's 169 days till you decide. Have a great weekend. See you Monday. As always, thank you for being with us.